you have a question about the Bible? You ever wonder how we can know and understand God? Maybe you have a question about the incarnation or the nativity story in this Christmas season. If so, you've come to the right place. You are listening to Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, Moody Radio's Bible study across America. And the phone number, if you want to be a part of the program today to ask your Bible question, it's 877-548-3675. Jot that down. Plug that right into your phone right now. 877-548-3675. That's the number for you to call. And if you're saying, this does not sound like Michael Rydelnik, well, then you are listening clearly. Your ears are working just great because this is not, sadly, Dr. Michael Rydelnik. This is uh, this is the second stringer here, but I love the program. I love being here. My name is Mike Fabares. I'm sitting in for Dr. Michael Rydelnik today, and I'm coming to you live, live, L-I-V-E. This is live, and I'm coming to you on all of these stations across the Moody Network. It's awesome to sit here and talk with you through the miracle of technology, and we are, as Dr. Michael Rydell likes to say, sitting at the radio kitchen table talking about the Bible, talking about God, talking about your spiritual life, how to apply the Bible, something that may have baffled you, whatever it is. I would love to take a stab at your question today. My name, as I said, is Mike Fabares, and I happen to be the pastor of Compass Bible Church in Aliso, Viejo, California. Do you know where that is? That's right there in the heart of South Orange County. And speaking of places to live, I once lived there in the dorms in downtown Chicago at Moody Bible Institute. I'm a graduate of Moody, and I am also the voice you hear on many of these Moody stations at Focal Point Radio authored a number of books, and uh, maybe we can talk about that if the, if the calls slow down, but hopefully we'll have no time to talk about that. We want you to call me, and the number here is, as I said, let me say it again, go to the phones and type this in or jot it down on your sticky note there, 877-548-3675, 877-548-3675, or if you say no, I don't have a phone. I need to work through the internet. Well, okay, well, I'm sure you have a phone, but you can go to the internet. It's the website, openlineradio.org, openlineradio.org. And you can also ask the question for the program through that website. You can fill out that little form that you see there that has the button, ask Michael a question. And it just happens to work. Michael and Michael, that's the main host, the real host. And then the backup host, That's I guess that's what my mom calls me from time to time, Michael. But I would love to answer your question today, which you can send in through the website, openlineradio.org. And if you've never been to the website, check it out. A lot of great things there and things that you can do to, to get to dig deeper into God's Word and just a platform to go in a lot of different directions. But a great, great website, openlineradio.org. Now, we got a great production team. We talk about a lot here on Moody Radio, but today's open line is Trish McMillan producing technical production by Bob Moreau, and, and Lynn is answering the phones. That's who you're going to talk to when you call in. This is our uh, final live open line program for the year, so this is it. You wanted to call in in 2023. Today is the day you can call in and get your questions in before this busy Christmas week. Christmas season, and I hope that you do call today. I hope I'm not all by myself here on the program. 877-548-3675. I hope you're all settled in and you're ready to go. You got your morning beverage and your Bible open, or if you're driving down the road, that you're ready to think about the Bible. And uh, we've got a lot of things going on here, including my 
computer not quite working the way I'd like it to work here or our computers. I don't know who to blame about that. I may not know what the question is or see your name before we get to the phones, but I am super excited to do the best we can to answer your questions. Think about the, think about this Christmas season. I know that we are uh, dealing with a lot of things, including gift giving. And I, maybe you're in that one of those years. It happens to me periodically where I think, man, I just don't, I don't like it. It's too commercialized. All these presents I got to buy for people. Listen, let's just think about why the whole gift giving thing started. Started because God has said that he is given, right? Think of the most familiar verse in all of the Bible, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave. Now, if you got love that is out of the equation and you're trying to replicate something in light of the giving of Christ to this earth as the incarnate second person of the Godhead to redeem us, and there's no love behind it, I guarantee you'll get really sick of giving gifts. But if you just rekindle your love, first and foremost for God, because he so freely gave to us, and then we want to give to others, it's a good time to do it. If we're ever going to exchange gifts, right, it's a good time to do it when we think about the ultimate gift, as Paul said to the Corinthians, right? This is God's ultimate gift, his generosity overflowing to us sinners who did not deserve redemption and having this come to us in a way that is so gracious and so kind. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity we have to reflect some of that generosity and that generosity coming through maybe just something simple, some just act of kindness. It doesn't have to be extravagant, but it needs to be sincere and motivated by love. So if you're out there fighting the crowds, trying to buy someone you love a gift, just remember the struggle that Jesus went through to lay aside all that independent uh, prerogative of his divinity. That's a fancy way to say that he laid aside the glory of heaven to come and live among us, be found as a human here, as a servant, even an obedient servant, even to the point of death on the cross, to quote there Philippians 2. And we are so grateful that he went the extra mile to give, and that gives us hope of eternal life, and we're so grateful for that. All right. Well, we have no computer here that's working that's going to tell me who, but I have a wonderful technology and someone in my ear saying that Sharon is on the phone. So we'll start with you, Sharon, out there in Michigan. You're talking Mike Fabara's on Open Line. How can I help this morning? Well, I am teaching Sunday school tomorrow on Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. And um, in studying for it, I came across verse 5, but says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, and Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And I never had thought about this before, but it sounds to me like Rahab is Ruth's second mother-in-law. Is that true? Well, there's plenty of reciting of names that are um, repeated throughout the Bible, and I would say it is definitely an interesting list of names there that we have, both in Luke chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 1, and I'm pulling up my text of Scripture here and looking at the text that you're looking at, and you're looking in verse uh, 13, is that right? No. Um, No, verse 5. Oh, catching up with you here. Yes. Matthew uh, 1, 5. Absolutely. I'm up to speed with you now. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And uh, as we think through the genealogies, whole, the whole point of what we have listed here 
is the connection to David. Of course, he was to fulfill the promise to sit on the throne of his father, David, which is ultimately going to happen in the future, but he has to be born to purchase our redemption. And so the genealogy is tracking all the way back to David. And so the ultimate connection here, whether we're looking at David through Solomon in the book of Matthew uh, or David through Nathan in the book of Luke, we're trying to establish that both Mary, the real genetic mother of Jesus, and also Joseph, the legal uh, guardian and parent in the sense that he is uh, the one, the caretaker of the family, both connect their way back to David. So that's the key thing. And then when we look at all these verses here that deal with the uh, um, genealogies we find here in the text of Scripture, uh, the Rahab quote, and I'm looking here carefully at what I have written in studying this in the past, and here, here's the problem with so many of the genealogies that we have, not just in this list, but the ones that we have going back to the Old Testament. Oftentimes, we skip generations. Even when we say that David is the father of, of Jesus in the sense that Jesus is the son of David, which is often the case. We often find the highlights being connected here. And Rahab, right, it, we, the only Rahab that we know of in the text of Scripture there in Joshua is the, the one that hides the spies. And we also have, right, herself, Ruth being someone who is not uh, in the line, in the, in the particular line of, uh, of Israel, in the sense that she marries in to the line of, of Abraham. And so we have that connection here in the text that makes us raise our eyebrow and say, wow, we have some very interesting people in this, including Rahab. So I would not say that there's not some skipping of generations in this text, and often we need to remember that as we look at any genealogy in the text of Scripture. And remember that sometimes we're skipping generations just to look at those who are the most significant in the line. So if this is who this actually is referring to, and sometimes we can't know for certain whether we're talking about the heroine that we know of in the book of Joshua or whether this is some other uh, person here, uh, we just understand that there is an actual set of, of real historical researched genealogies that we can trust, one going into Joseph's line and one going into Mary's line that give us a confidence that God has fulfilled with great detail his promise to send the son of David. So I'm going to dig into that deeper. I may do that during the break to see where I land on whether this is the historic Rahab of Joshua chapter 2 or whether this might be another. So Sharon, first question, that's a good one, stumping the, the host here, but at least recognizing some of the principles that help us understand genealogies in the Bible. I wish I could have gone further with you on that one, Sharon, and that's what you get when you get the second stringer on Sunday morning here at Open Line. But Sharon, I appreciate the call, and if you have a question about the Bible or the Christian life, you can call us here at 877-548-3675, and we're going to move on to Ray in Minnesota. Ray, you're on the air with Mike Fabar as an open line. How can I help today? I was wondering uh, regarding the birth of Jesus. Us as humans have been embedded within us because of our sinful nature. So when the Immaculate Conception happened, how was it that Mary, who was human and sinful, would have been able to uh, contribute her genetics to Jesus and have him come out completely perfect and sinful? Um, is it something where she donated, I guess, her body to host and birth this baby, or did God actually use her genetics to create the Son of Man? And yes, son well, of God? yes. Well, at least half, right? We know that that we yeah, have yeah. the genetic connection, right, to Mary. 
And we aren't saying that there was something completely alien here that had no connection to Mary. We believe that Mary was the human connection to the incarnate Christ. We know that the Bible presents Jesus as 100% human and 100% divine, which is the way that we have these two natures that are not conflated or commingled, but they are the what, how we understand the incarnate Christ. Now, to say, well, what we're looking for in our minds, and sometimes we are, this perfect person, and we, we've got to realize that, yes, of course, morally, ethically, in every way, divine, but as it relates to what he is, he is now 100% human, which means he has to have the consequences of all that takes place after the fall in Genesis 3, in the sense that this body can die. If the body was completely without any connection to the human Adam and Eve, we would have a body that would never die. And yet we do. We have one that can suffer. We can have one that hurts, that can be diseased, one that can have uh, all kinds of issues going on that we recognize as human. Right? God cannot die. Right? There's, it's impossible. So we have a human Jesus. Right? Think of Luke chapter 2, growing in stature and wisdom and favor with God and man, verse 52 there in Luke 2. Right? None of that can happen if we're talking about God. God can't learn. God can't grow. So we have to have the full humanity of Jesus, and that's true in Jesus. And so we have to say, yes, there's a connection to the fallen human race, a connection that's more than just, well, he was hosted in, in Mary's womb, but shares the humanity that Mary provided. That's a great question. It's a deep question, and maybe even the, uh, the Man Jesus Christ is a good book that you might look at by Bruce Ware that goes into detail about the reality of accepting and understanding that Jesus is fully man, and that sometimes blows our minds more than our Sunday school perception that, well, he's just got to be God, 100% God. Well, of course he does, but he shares in some of the difficulties that we have in being a part of the fallen human race, and he took on that fallen human race, which included hunger and thirst and disease and colic and crying and pain and, and death itself, so that he might redeem us. That's a great question, Ray, and we're in the break window here, and it's time for us to get to so many things that we've got on this program. We've got a great, great program show that is all planned for you. I'm sitting in today for Dr. Michael Rodelnik. You're listening to Open Line on Moody Radio. Our number is 877-548-3675, and we'll be back right after this. The book of Romans is often considered Paul's most significant theological work, addressing topics such as sin, salvation, faith, righteousness, and now you can easily grasp Paul's teachings as the Romans Everyday Bible Commentary by Alan Johnson guides you in the meaning and application of Romans in our daily lives. When you give a gift of any size to OpenLine, I'll send you a copy just to say thank you. Call 888-644-7122 or visit OpenLineRadio.org. Well, welcome back to Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. I'm Mike Fabares, and we've got calls lined up here, so let's get back to the phones. Let's go to Sharon now. Sharon, you're on the air with Mike Fabares on Open Line. How can I help? Hi. Um, I, I just have kind of the same question the other Sharon wanted to know, and I've wondered about this, and I know you guys probably answered it before, but Joseph came from the line of David, but Mary didn't. But Joseph adopted Jesus as his son, correct? No. <laughs> I believe oh. that in Luke chapter uh, 
in, yeah, let me pull it. Luke chapter three. Well, in, in the yeah. discussion about uh, in verse twenty-three, I think a careful reading of that text tells us also that Mary is uh, the son of and and and. and Partly, any commentary is going to help you with the language here, but just literally it says in the second half of verse 23, Jesus, beginning about 30 years, being the son as supposed of Joseph, right, of Heli, of, of Matthai, of Levi, of Melchi, th- that, that direction of, of lines gives us the idea that we're not talking here about Joseph's line. Joseph is parenthetically noted here, right? The word son, and this is what we call syntax in the original language of Greek, uh, th- this is the pattern of, of what we call in grammar genitive articles. We're, we're focusing now, right, throughout Luke's intro, including all the stories he's telling here, is on Mary. It's not about Joseph. We have, we have a lot more about Joseph in Matthew, and the focus is on Joseph in Matthew. The focus here is on Mary in Luke. So Mary, mentioned 12 times in the first two chapters, I think we're dealing here with the lineage of Mary. And so I think a careful reading of verses 23 and 24 is going to lead us to that. So yes, Mary is also uh, a descendant of uh, David, and I think that's the point that's being made. One goes forward, one goes backwards, and Matthew goes backwards, and, and Luke goes forward. That that picture of all of those names and that parenthetical statement, being the son, as was supposed of Joseph, right, is telling us that we've got Mary in view here, uh, being related all the way through back to when we finally get back to David. And David's son that is discussed is Nathan, not David's son in uh, the book of Matthew being Solomon. So we're following David's lineage, one through Solomon to get to Joseph, and one through Nathan to get to Mary. So both of them are from the line of, of, and I think Jesus did that, God did that, because he didn't want any dispute. They're both descendants of not only Abraham, but both descendants of David as well. Okay, and you said that's in Luke, correct? Luke, correct. And and you got what you got to deal with is that parenthetical phrase there, and even maybe a commentary to help you with the ancient language and how the syntax of Greek in the New Testament works. But we're talking here about a parenthetical, like being the son, and my translation here, the English Standard Version, being the son as it was supposed of Joseph. And, and so we're not dealing with the fact that Joseph, this is Joseph's line, because that's not what we're talking about in this passage. Right? Joseph, who is the husband of Mary in Matthew, it speaks of Jacob being the father. So we're not dealing with, with Joseph's lineage, because they're different in these passages. If you're going to take that parenthetical statement and say, oh, we're dealing with Joseph's lineage, we're not. We're dealing with Mary's lineage all the way back to David in Luke, who is the star of the first two chapters of Luke, and Matthew, where the focus is on, J- on Joseph, we're tracking his lineage all the way back to David, but through his son Solomon, not through Nathan. Does that help? Okay. Yeah. I well, I I have a David Jeremiah Bible and it's I haven't gotten to that yet, but it okay. makes total sense and you've just made my year. <laughs> well, here's what I would tell you. If you want to go deeper in my explanation of all of this, you can go to pastormike.com and if you just typed in okay. a title of a sermon called Jesus, Son of David. Uh, it's message okay. thir- 13.06, so 13-06, you will find a detailed explanation of why this makes not only grammatical sense and syntactical sense, but it makes biblical sense uh, that we have Mary being tracked in Luke and Joseph being tracked in Matthew. So I might just recommend that. PastorMike.com, Jesus, Son of David. It's a sermon from Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 31. We dig deep and roll up our sleeves in that passage, and I think it will be helpful to you. Thank right. you so yes. much. 
You're very, Thank very you. welcome. All right, let's go back to the phones. Ron in Ohio, you're on the air with Mike Fabara, sitting in for Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Hey, good morning. Um, good morning. I've been a musical all my life, and I uh, heard a sermon on your wonderful Moody station about two years ago that singing is reserved for the saints and that angels don't sing. And I'm looking at Luke right now, uh, chapter 2, verse 14, where that company of angels went glory to God in the highest. And it says, praising God and saying, and um, I, I would like to know, I've been looking and looking, and I don't find any evidence of angels singing in heaven. And I thought that'd be beautiful if singing's reserved for the born-again believer when they get there. I just try to get an answer for that, and I can't get one. And you sound like the pro, so that's why I'm throwing this oh, okay. at you. Well, listen, and, and I would also refer you to PastorMike.com in my sermon on that in Luke chapter 2. And I make the case that even though the word singing is not used there, that the way that this is presented in Luke chapter 2 is consistent mm -hmm. with the kind of, we've moved from prose here to a kind of poetical, syntactical representation of what they said, what the words were. But I would say these are the lyrics of them singing. And to say that angels don't sing, and I would definitely say that's not the case, Case. And the proof text for that would be Job chapter 38, verse 7, which clearly is referring to angelic beings. And it says they sang together at the creation of the world and, and, and shouted for joy. So the verbs there, sang and shouted in, in Job 38, as attached to the Ben Elohim, or the sons of God, and the morning stars. This is Hebrew parallelism. We're definitely talking about angelic beings singing. So I believe that angelic beings sing, and I think they sang at the creation of the world, and the way that we have hints there in Luke chapter 2 that we're dealing with a musical, which I think is at least, I don't know how it would sound in our ears. Of course, even the way in which our our, our tonal scales plan, work out are just, they're relatively recent, last, what, five, six hundred years, you probably know better than I am. Music definitely sounded different, but whatever it was. It's a singing, I believe, of an expression of joyful exuberance. And, and I think the word sing certainly would stretch over that idea of what was going on there. So I do think the old Christmas carols are probably right in this case, even though the word singing is not here. And I believe it's a kind of singing, the kind of singing that we know angels do based on Job chapter 38, uh, verse verses six and seven, the creation of the world, the world was made, the morning stars sang together, the sons of God shouted for joy. I think they shouted for joy at the incarnation and, and birth of Jesus Christ. And so I believe it was. And and what did it sound like? Different than something based on Western, uh, you know, tonal scales and even David playing his harp. We often picture, you know, a kind of whatever we picture or imagine in our minds. Music sounded very different back then. And I don't think the focus is on the melody or the meter or whatever, but it certainly is an exuberant expression that we would call music. And in my mind, I think it is. It's probably a cappella, but whatever. We've got some kind of uh, exuberant expression that fits into, into the definition of singing. So yes, I'm going to say it is. I, yeah, and I don't think singing is reserved just for um, uh, for for saints. I, I like the idea. That's that's nice. But again, I've got to grapple with Job 38, which I think these verbs are very clear. We're dealing with singing angels. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I, I won't make a fool out of myself anymore by telling people the angels don't sing. I, that's the best answer I've ever heard. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. That's good, Ron. I, that's definitely affirming for the fill-in host of Open Line. Let's go to the phones in Illinois. Uh, Rose, you're on the air with Mike Fabar sitting in for Dr. Michael Riddelnik. How can I help? 
I need the answer to a question, please. I have a part of my family is Jehovah's Witness, and my nieces keep asking me to visit what they refer to as Kingdom Hall. How do I answer them and not make them? I don't know. I'm just not knowing what to say. And could you give me a scripture in the Bible that will affirm my belief that I should not attend their, what they call, Kingdom Hall? Yes. Well, the answer is no. And how can I say that without offending them? I don't know that there is a way that you can say that without offending Mm -hmm. them any more than you inviting someone to a good Bible teaching church and them saying no and you feeling bad about that. Of course, they may feel bad. But the problem is that all of us as Christians should have no connection with some group of people that say things about Jesus Christ that are not accurate. And by that, I don't mean just small things like, you know, where he was baptized on the Jordan River. I'm talking about that that they're saying something very different about the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, The Jehovah Witnesses, sadly, starting with uh, Charles Taz Russell back in the late... uh, 1800s and early 1900s, uh, he was basically uh, demeaning the veracity and, and the reliability of Scripture and replacing it with his own thoughts, right? He, he was saying that we're creating the key in his, what he called this uh, Scripture studies that he created, these six, this six-volume book, that he's got the answers, and you need to look to him. And even as today, the Watchtower and Tract Society that was established, they say, is the avenue and conduit of truth to this world. The problem is they downplay the Bible and the reliability of the Bible. They create their own New World translation of the Bible in the mid-20th century and say, well, we've got this all figured out. And I would even say, just think of that. We, we have bad scholarship in that book. Sadly, uh, the New World Translation uh, was was done by five translators. You can't find an evangelical Bible translated today with five translators. It's crazy. And they didn't know the languages. Uh, The main guy that they quote as their scholar uh, didn't know the language that he was translating. So let me talk a little bit more about that after the break, Rose, but I appreciate the call and, and we'll pick that up. My name is Mike Fabar, as I'm sitting in today for Dr. Michael Redelnik. Our producer is Trish McMillan, bringing in the mailbag in just a few minutes. And you're listening to Open Line on Moody Radio. We'll be right back after these messages. We're so glad that FEBC partners with Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, bringing the FEBC mailbag every week. Learn how Far East Broadcasting Company is taking Christ to the world at febc.org. On their weekly podcast, Until All Have Heard with Ed Cannon, you'll hear stories of lives changed by Messiah all across the globe. Again, you can hear the podcast when you visit febc.org. That's febc.org. Welcome back to Open Line. I'm Dr. Michael Fabares filling in uh, for Michael Rydelnik. <laughs> I should know who I'm filling in for. Yes, and I just wanted to at least follow up here with Rose. And, and I think all of us are struck with this, whether it's someone in the Mormon faith trying to get us to read their book or someone at the Kingdom Hall wanting us to go to uh, this, this is read the Watchtower and Tract Society's material or go to their website or do a Bible study with them. Uh, you know, the problem is in every one of these situations, we've diverted from the clear teaching of Scripture about how one is saved, who Jesus is, who God is, 
And, and we need to say that we are about the truth of Scripture. We believe in the Scripture being the sole authority of what is right and what is true and the things that should direct our thinking and our faith. And so we're not interested in hearing about Joseph Smith or the Pearl of Great Price, or in this case, all the information coming through the Watchtower and Tract Society, uh, all of the false prophecies that have been given and all the things that they taught that didn't come true. Uh, clearly, this is another group of people trying to say, follow what I say. Don't just study this on your own and figure this out yourself. Uh, maybe in the Mormons are the most unique in this in trying to say, well, you got to pray, and if you feel it, well, then you'll have this burning in the bosom, and then you'll be confirmed that we're right. And just all of these subjective or external authorities trying to tell us to do what is right and, and to believe what they say, when in fact the Bible says, do what we say, do what I say, do what, the, what God has said through the apostles and prophets written in the scripture that is punctuated by predictive prophecies that proves this isn't just the, the, the word of man, right? These other groups are filled with all kinds of, of things that their leaders have said that did not come true. So we, we have to just set them aside. And, and we just know that, to, and I put, I'll put it bluntly, that Satan is the father of lies. And, and unfortunately, he comes disguised as an angel of light. So when we see someone, even with the Bible in their hands, say things that we know are not in concert with the Scripture, particularly as, as, as critical and central as who is Jesus Christ and how do we get saved? Well, then we need to say, no, thank you. We don't do that. We don't have to drink, uh, you know, um, whatever, lighter fluid for us to know that, that we need to be drinking water. The, the pure water of God's Word is where we go. We go to churches that teach it, Line by line, verse by verse, that's where we want to be, sitting under the teaching of God's Word, and we're not interested in an organization 200 years old or 150 years old that's going to say, well, they had it wrong for all those centuries, just listen to us. So I, I do hope that helps, Rose. I hope there's some uh, sense of saying I can say no with confidence that the Bible would have me just double down on my Bible study. When someone says, why don't you come to the kingdom? I'll say, you know what I'll do? I'll study my Bible twice as much this week, because we know that that's the source of truth, and I think you can be confident with that. All right. Well, we have a lot of questions that come in, not just through the uh, airwaves here on phone calls, but we have a we have a mailbag. And, you know, it's a great thing to get into that mailbag. And Trish McMillan is our mailbag gal, and she's got all of these letters. I picture like, like you know, it's just a bag of mail that you might yes. haul in. <laughs> but I know it's electronic. But tell us what you've got today. Good morning, Good Trish. morning and Merry you? Christmas. I'm Merry doing Christmas. well. I did want to, real quick, I will get to the questions, but for people who are listening um, and maybe haven't listened the past couple weeks or maybe missed our updates on what happened to Michael, um, Michael is fine, but he had some surgery and had some complications after the surgery. And the doctors, and more importantly, Eva, said, rest, take some time off. And so he took off the rest of the year, which is why we get your presence today. Um, and so he's fine. He's doing much better. He's getting better day by day. And he will be back January 6th for our first program of the year. So this is our last live one of the year. And then we'll be taped for the next two weeks. Next week, we have a conversation, a Bible study on Luke, on the birth narrative in Luke, which is a fantastic conversation. Um, it is Michael and Eva, right down like Chris Fabry and me. And we spent two hours just diving into some of the faith issues and some of the uh, belief issues that were there and historical issues, and it's a great Bible study. Um, and then the next week on the 30th, we will have a program with Mike Van Lanningham, Cisco Cotto, Eva, and Michael on the security of the believer. And so we spent two hours diving into um, salvation and what it means. Wow. And yeah, that's great. Yeah, so that'll be the next two weeks, and then we'll be back live on January 6th. 
um, and Michael's doing well, but please continue to pray for him. I know he appreciates that. I know lots of you have been praying for him, so thank you for that, too. So, okay. All that's of the a good update. It is a good yes, update. Yes, that's good. And, and I certainly think it reminds our listeners to pray for the Rydelnik family. Pray for Michael. He's he's a great guy. He's texted me through some of this, and I know it's been a challenge, uh, but he is such a man of faith, and, and he would just appreciate, I'm sure, uh, everyone praying for him. He probably wouldn't say that or ask for that, <laughs> but uh, he needs to be upheld by, by the people that love him in prayer. Yes. Yes. So thank you for those prayers. Okay. So into the mailbag. Our first question is from Grizel in Florida, listens to WKES, and says, Is it necessary to believe that Christ Jesus was God incarnate to obtain salvation? Can you believe in Christ Jesus, believe he is the Son of God, rose after three days, but not believe that he is God? No. Okay. <laughs> I really do think that if you look at all the tests in First John, for instance, the little book of First John, and there's so many tests, right? Do you have love? Do you, te- do you keep his commandments? It's trying to see if your faith is the kind of faith that James says is, is a, a real authentic faith, the faith that saves. And so much of what's discussed there in chapter four is what people are saying about Jesus. And, and, and you can say, if I believe he's the son of God, well, the, the son of God, the picture, the, the title that he's trying to create in us, even when that word is used, or the son of man, even so often in the book of uh, Mark, he likes to call himself the son of man, son of man. This goes back to Daniel seven, which describes someone who has all authority over all people everywhere. This is not just uh, a, a special prophet. This is not just a, an exalted, uh, you know, person. This is God incarnate. This is what Philippians 2 is all about. It's what Jesus is trying to say so clearly throughout the book of John, the gospel of John, and all the recorded dialogues of Christ. He is the one that, as 1 John 4 says, has come into this world in the flesh. Well, none of us have come into the world right? In the flesh. We, we didn't exist before we were conceived, right? We're mortal beings. He's the immortal being. Before Abraham was, I am. Even as he says those words, right? He's, he's really capturing the essence of what the word that we translate in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word, Yahweh, the, the I am, the great I am, the one who has always been, the ever existing one. So we know that Jesus really made this point, accepting worship, now, saying that he gives life even as the Father gives life, that all judgment has been given over to him, that the Son of God, the triune God, is, is just an essential doctrine that we must embrace, even though it's hard for us to understand or illustrate. And we say this is the cornerstone of who we're trusting in, the eternal Son of God who is incarnate, who's died in our place and lived in our place, and he's the only hope that we have. So our Christology, as we would call it, our view of Christ is super important. And the Bible starts there in First John 4 by saying, there's lots of false prophets that have gone out into the world, and you cannot be deceived about the person of Christ. I don't mean that you have to be able to write a five-page paper on the Trinity, but you ought to be able to say, yes, I believe that God incarnate with all of the co-equal attributes of the Father has come to earth, laying aside all the, the independent exercise of his divine attributes and lived among us, and that is the incarnation of the eternal God. And, and I, I just, there's no way for us to avoid that. It seems very, very clear. And we spent a lot of time in church history trying to double down on that truth because it is where the data in scripture takes us. There's one God, Jesus is God, the Father is God, the Spirit is God, but the Spirit is not the Son and the Son is not the Father. These are distinct persons, but one essence. And that is the, just the classical depiction of the triune God and Jesus is the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God. Yeah, it's such a... It's such a hard 
when you when you try and like put it into words, it's such a hard uh, doctrine to try and communicate. I think, or even when you try and try and dig down, it's like he's fully God and fully man. And how do you how do you explain? It's hard. It's hard to explain. But I think even the the um, Pharisees, like when Jesus would speak and teach, and he would say specific things that I think in our English translation, when we read them, we don't we don't always get the full impact of what they mean. But immediately, you know, they try and stone him because he's committed blasphemy because right. he has said, "I'm God." But we don't necessarily catch that when we read our English version. As well. well it, it was clear to them, right? They yeah. knew. That's why he was crucified. They, the high priest tore his robes, right? This man is blasphemy. He's making himself equal to God. And, and when Jesus says things like he's going to come on the clouds, right? The Son of Man is going to come on the clouds with the glory of the angels, right? And he's going to sit on his glorious throne and gather the people before him. You know, it just there's just no way to divorce it from this divine being in, in Daniel 7, that he is saying that he is, and he has all authority. He has the ability to calm the seas. He he accepts worship. Think about that, right? The, the cornerstone of all of the Ten Commandments, or you don't worship anyone but God. Mm-hmm. Exodus 34, you only worship God, and yet Jesus is accepting worship. Think about mm-hmm. him on the on, on the Mount of, of Olives there before his ascension. He's It says they've gathered together before he gives the Great Commission, and, and he, he, he says they, they're all worshiping him. Think about that. Mm-hmm. that, that that's so blasphemous if yeah. we're not talking about the incarnate God. So I wish we could have gotten to more of these I questions. I mean, mailbag. We're, we're busy know. talking about I Michael, know. who he probably I'm wouldn't sorry. like that. And we got to tell the boss we'll we're skip really over sorry. That next hour, and we'll but go maybe, right to questions. We will. We, just tell him we love him and we can't help but talk about him sometimes. Right, right. So, Trish, we'll get more of these questions Sounds in the great. next uh, uh, next hour we'll do that but for now we want you to call us 877-548-3675 Lynn's going to answer the phone and then get you on the air hopefully in the queue to be on the program this is Open Line on Moody Radio and we'll be back right after these words from Chosen People Each weekend on Open Line with me, Dr. Michael Radelnik, we study the scriptures around our radio kitchen table. You can become a kitchen table partner through your monthly support of Open Line. Your gifts help me to provide biblical answers to questions that many believers have about the Savior, the scriptures, and the spiritual life. Along with other partners, you're helping people receive guidance from God's Word. Become a kitchen table partner today. Call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. People often wonder, what's Hanukkah all about? So with Hanukkah coming up in December, Chosen People Ministries wants to help open-line listeners by offering a free booklet called The Gospel According to Hanukkah. Chosen People Ministries reaches Jewish people around the world with the good news of Jesus the Messiah. The Gospel According to Hanukkah explains the ancient origins of this holiday, the way it's celebrated today, and how it relates to our own faith in Jesus, the light of the world. For a free copy of The Gospel According to Hanukkah, just go to openlineradio.org. Scroll down, and you'll see a link that says A Free Gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, and you'll be able to sign up for your very own copy of The Gospel According to Hanukkah. Well, we are back here on Listening to Open Line, and I'm Mike Fabares filling in today for Dr. Michael Rydelnik. And we're glad that you're listening, and we're going to go back to the phones. And right now, let's see who we have on the line. I don't have it. 
Crystal is on the line, I've been told. Crystal, you're on the air with Mike Fabares. How can I help? Good morning, Brother Fabares. I am calling because I wanted you to explain um, how we are actually made in the image and likeness of God. And if you have any references or any books that solely kind of focus on that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I can give you some books. Let's start with the idea and the concept from Genesis, right? We have this picture of Jesus creating us in his image. Now that first starts there in verse 26. And the next mm-hmm. thing that's said here, right, is let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, all the earth. And on we go with them having this exercising of kingdom, dominion, of authority, of oversight. And, and so Everything in the context there, even without knowing anything else, makes us think, well, whatever God is doing, God, of course, means the powerful one, the one in charge, the one with dominion. He makes ones that have some dominion to do what he does, Mm -hmm. which is to oversee and create and take charge of and to steward things as he gives that stewardship to them, as he gives authority to them. Now, we learn later in the scripture, of course, that, that God is spirit. John chapter four, for instance, right? God is spirit. And spirit, as Jesus said when he was resurrected in his physical uh, glorified body, a spirit does not have flesh and bones that you see that I have. So we know that God is not one who has a physical likeness or some kind of image in the sense that he is six foot one and has brown hair and, and you know, whatever, the, the tone of his skin. We, we don't have any of that. God is not a creature. He's not a created being. He's not a physical being. He's spirit. He doesn't exist within this corporeal realm, this physical material realm. So whatever it means, we can't have physical beings who like to look at the physical aspects of their existence and say, well, we're made in the image of God in the sense that we look like God visibly, right? That's not the point. It can't be the point because God has no image in that sense, but he certainly has an image if you're going to describe the kind of being that he is. He's a being that can create. He's a being that can think. He's a being that can feel and have feelings. Like in Genesis 6, he sees sin and he's grieved by it, just like we can be grieved when things don't go the way that they should go. So we have a a constitution and a mind and a spirit within us that reflects his spirit, which then functions through a physical body, though that's not in view there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. What's in view is what kind of spirit is controlling this physical body in this physical realm that he just created? Well, it's a spirit like his spirit. It's a spirit that can think and reason and make decisions and has a volitional capacity to purpose, to do things and plan and to have memory and to communicate and all the things that human beings do that dolphins don't do and turtles don't do and ants don't do and rocks don't do. We have this special capacity that looks a lot like God, and our spirit is a lot like his spirit in that regard. And of course, all of the image of God was marred in in creation because of sin in Genesis chapter 3. So we know that, and, and it's very important for us to affirm that we are not like God in the sense that we're righteous and, and holy and morally perfect, but we certainly have the capacities in our spirit to function through our material bodies to do the kinds of things that God does, to create to steward, to oversee, to give instruction, uh, to make things useful. And so God is doing all those things in creation, and he gives that kind of authority to human beings. Does that help, Crystal? Yes, great, great, great. Yes. Now, do you have any resources or books? Yes. How about this one? Uh, Enchanting Humanity by Owen Strand, Enchanting Humanity. That is a book that's just all about trying to understand what it means to be made in the image of God. What does it look like? Uh, How does it function? Uh, Anthony Hokema also wrote a book called The Image of God, Anthony Hokema. 
Uh, both those books, I think, would help you kind of dig deeper. Now, these guys are great thinkers. I started with Owen's book because he just speaks okay. in a language that everyone can understand. It's very accessible, and yet he's a top-notch thinker and can really work through helping you to understand what does it mean that we are human beings made in the image of God. And those two books keep you busy Thank through you. the rest of the year, I'm quite sure. So uh, okay. I recommend those. So okay, Crystal, thanks for okay. listening. You're listening to Open Line, everyone. My name is Mike Fabar, sitting in for Dr. Michael Rydelnik. We're taking your calls about the Bible, the Christian life, something you're dealing with, and you're trying to live out your Christian faith in this world. We'd love to address it here on the program, and you know our number. It's 877-548-3675. We're going to go back to the phones. Shirlene in Ohio, you're on the air. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Wow, amazing. I said it right. That's right. good. Yes. Yeah. How can I help well, you today? Pastor, well, Pastor Mike, I had a discussion with my grandson, and I had said that in the beginning, God uh, gave to Adam and Eve every seed-bearing plant and every tree the, uh, to eat, and that when Noah came out of the ark, God said, now that you are, um, now I give you um, everything that lives and moves, not just the green plants, I now give you everything. And he brought up the fact that God, he brought up three things. One, that God had killed animals to provide skin coverings for Adam and Eve. Correct. Two, he said that Abel gave a sacrifice. And three, he gave, uh, brought up the fact that Noah also gave a sacrifice when he came out of the ark. And so that really made me wonder, were they, did they not eat the um, animals when they, prior to that permission that God gave when Noah came out of the ark? Well, we, we do know that people often take the commands of God and disavow them and, dis, and, and, and disobey them. So I can't guarantee you that no one was eating meat before the permission was given in Genesis 9. But I would think it's important to understand how different the world was after the flood. And one of the things that shows us that is that people were living 800, 900 years old before the flood. And as soon as the flood took place, it's kind of curious that God all of a sudden says, hey, now you can eat animals. I'm going to put the fear of human beings and animals. They used to just walk right up to you, but now they're going to run away from you. And so you're going to have to hunt them and you're going to have to get your food through these animals that are scared and scattered. And I'm like, why? And, and what is important to understand is that the lifespan immediately precipitously drops after the flood. And I got more on this, Shirlene, but I've up against a break here. So let me get back after the break. If you can hang on, I'd love to get your follow-up thoughts, but let's right now get to another hour of open line that is coming up. And we have got a hard break here, so we're going to take it. Most of these stations are going to pick us up. Some of them may not, and then that's going to be a sad thing. But we want you so hang on. We've got another hour of programming. You can go to openlineradio.org and learn all about the program. And what you can learn about is that Michael, Dr. Michael Redelnik is the host, but today Dr. Mike Fabar is just sitting in for him. This program, Open Line with Dr. Michael Redelnik, is a production of Moody Radio, which is a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute. And we appreciate you listening. And we'll be back after this break. 